All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to episode two of the Come As You Are podcast. I'm your host, Christian Archer. First of all, thank you so much for dropping in for another conversation and big shout out to all of the people that took the time out of their days to listen to our first episode with Jason Reed. Time is precious. And with so many things vying for our attention, I am beyond humbled that so many of you listened and even took the extra step of sharing your thoughts with me. If you haven't yet, please hit me up on Instagram, share your thoughts. I would love to know how I can make this show better. You are all very special people, and I am grateful for you. Today's guest is Jonza, an up-and-coming hip-hop artist from Tampa Bay who has made waves in the underground LA scene with his debut project, Free Radical. You may have discovered him through his breakout single, Face Down, or maybe you saw him burn down the house at the Echo in February. Either way, you're about to learn far more about this polarizing MC. We touch upon topics like the passing of his older brother, life upon the hero's journey, and how he owes his love for music to Janet Jackson. I had such a good time doing this interview, and I hope you all find it to be as stimulating as I do. With that being said, Johnson decided to pick up Grizzly Bear's Vocodomus to open up the show with, and he had some fantastic insights to share after his first full-length listen ever. Let's dive in. I said, R.I.P. my brother, yeah, same nigga, and that's word to my mama, uh, chains with him. Niggas tryna cope with me, but I'm the big kahuna wave caps on my soul machine, huh? I've been making waves, yeah. I need direct deposit today. You get like more out of the experience. Mm-hmm. You do. Um, like there were there were parts of that album that I did not even like notice know the first were time. there until like literally just now because I've only listened to that thing a handful of times mm-hmm. on the fluence. But wow. Um, yeah. Thank you for pulling that shit out of there, dude. Like that, um, that really stirred up a lot of emotions, and a lot of emotions for me are linked to that to that record because that is um, that record. I kind of attribute to my early stages of developing self awareness, and mm-hmm. and more importantly, like listening to my own music. Mm-hmm. Um, up until that stage, like I was kind of more of like a radio guy, but I remember my first encounter with with this album was uh i was probably about 15 years old i just started smoking weed and um i was hanging with my boy uh cooper in brooklyn and uh there was this girl we were hanging out with i think her name was maggie or olivia one of those two Mm -hmm. um and we all got stoned and she was like hey you guys want to see some like trippy shit and she put on the music video for uh ready able so that was my first exposure that was it and so that was my introduction to that. And I just remember, like, it's one of my earliest, like, teenage memories is just mm-hmm. being high off my ass for the first time, like, watching That's this great. trippy-ass, like, claymation music video. Oh, and, I haven't even uh, seen the video, by the way. You got to see it. I it's fucking it. weird. And it's, 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 it really helps to paint a picture of, uh, like, the landscape that this album creates. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, for me, this this music is deeply rooted in... I just, I guess, like the uh, the development of my my psyche and my mind, because I've mm-hmm. revisited it at every stage of my life. When I was 15 years old, then again when I was like 17, 19, it keeps coming back, mm-hmm. and I've always revisited it. I in like a way, it helps me reckon with like the idea of loneliness, and mm-hmm. and the it sounds to me like a lonely mind. It um, does, and. It, it sounds like something I can only kind of come up mm-hmm. in isolation. And so that's briefly touching upon like what it means to me. Let's, we mm-hmm. could dive more into it, but I would love 
to hear your take on this. Cause for me, I'm pretty familiar with the arrangements with the mm-hmm. sounds, like everything that kind of hits your eardrums. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine if you haven't really spent a whole lot of time with it, it could either be one of those albums that really clicks for you, right. or it could be a little bit overwhelming with you. Right. There's so many different instruments going on in this thing. So many different sounds. You nearly lit your damn book on fire. Yeah, right. so, I, was, so. I was tapped in. I'm telling you like, I, I actually, you saying that makes a lot of sense with like, if no one's heard this project before, mm. the intense production, it's just like, it's not even intense production, it's just like the intense emotion that it like brings out of you or the yeah. intense emotion that it's giving off is kind of like, it's really polarizing. It's to the point where it's like either you really say it's re- you're really into it or you're like, there's a lot going on right now. Absolutely. You know? But for me, I think the project was like, it felt like the singer's journey to like self-actualization, but on the road from top to bottom, the the production is like his obstacles. So I, when I saw the production getting chaotic, mm. I felt like that was the emotion inside him. But mm-hmm. the actual lyrics and words were his like his voice of reason trying to suppress the the production, which is the emotion. Right. So there was points in like. Um, it might have been track number four, um, the one where he says time a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't remember the the name of that one, but it, I literally, I wrote, it feels like a clock wrote this song. <laughs> like, it sounds ridiculous, but it just feels like, like when you, when you're listening, when you're making music, we're all just basically like, and like this, after listening to the Pharrell, Rick Rubin thing, it kind of, it really resonated with me. The The one thing that was said there was, Pharrell said, we aren't, all the shit that we're making isn't coming from, like, it isn't, like, our human that it's, like, making this. It's that when you're really, like, for lack of better words, when you're really tapped into the universe and to your, like, to yourself, mm. you start, like, things start coming to you rather than, um, like, you trying to make something out of thin air. So, like, when I say, like, it feels like time wrote this, it feels like. He was so he was a watcher of his thoughts when he was making this song. It feels like it didn't even he didn't even make it. it like it came to him. Absolutely. You know? To to stop you right there, one of the thoughts that that came up for me, it was uh I said the balance between tones is what really makes this music mm-hmm. masterful. Like the 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 peaks and the valleys that it presents and that ties into the emotion and and to this exact concept you're saying but at the end I said this music came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't what you make when you sit down you're like I'm going to make some music today. Mm-hmm. Let's get busy. Like this, this shit hit him, mm-hmm. you know, um, or whoever was involved in, in the creation of, 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 this, of this project. But in order to, to, to create a project like this, it's the amount of natural inspiration and chemistry needs to be on a thousand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's going to be hard to just come up with by yourself. Yeah. It's like, it, it really feels Cause when you listen to certain albums, you can tell like uh, like a lot for me like a lot of like newer rap. Even when I'm trying to make certain songs, I can tell when a song is coming from ego mm. versus when a song is coming from a place of like vulnerability. From a place of like I think everything is obviously divine intuition mm-hmm. because music isn't just made out of thin air. It mm. kind of like is the emotions that you're feeling. But there's certain times where you are you're more vulnerable to the energy that's making the project mm. versus trying to control it yourself, if that makes sense. And this just feels like you said, the whole project feels like defined intuition. It just, it just feels like it flows. It feels right. 
Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. What kind of emotions was this was this stirring up in you? Like what what was really sitting here with you? What did you take away? What I really what I really took away from the album is staying leveled in amidst amidst chaos. Hmm. It feels as if I think that a lot of songs are about love. So even if it's about, it doesn't necessarily have to be about a person. It could be about where you're at, like just anything. So right. I usually get from a lot of tracks a better and the idea of what love is. And for this one, for me, it's like being in amidst like chaos of the world, but being leveled enough to like cut through that chaos with your voice. What kind of what kind of mental images like when I'm listening to this? I like to listen to music with my eyes closed, mm -hmm. and that really helps me tap into the picture the right, artist right, right. was trying to paint like what kind of mental images does this conjure for you i was at one point i was in a chapel mm. um another point i was in the middle of a field of just like really tall grass but nothing in sight other than just me and tall grass beautiful and like an old piano in the middle <laughs> um I got actually wrote on here for track number nine i felt like i was on a boat in france but every time the guitar plucks, it was like a like oh, it's a word I use a lot. Dysphoria with this. I dysphoria. Use, yeah. What is that? What unpack that for me? I'm it's, not even familiar with that one. It's basically like it's pretty much it's it's pretty much like for me it's like the opposite of euphoria. Like because euphoria is everything is going perfect. Everything is like exactly where we want it to be. Dysphoria I feel like is the the opposite of that. In certain uh, which which other track was I think it was track number three. Immediately like. When you're playing keys and you're playing like a in, in whatever melody it is, like with when it comes to like a chord theory, there we go. When you're like when, when you know theory, there's the chords that just make sense. And the beginning of one of these tracks, there were like certain chords that didn't necessarily go together, so it just felt wrong, mm. but it fell into the right the right flow of it. Right, so absolutely. I think that using Using the messing up of keys and using that as a way to like give a feeling of like, oh, something's going wrong and then going into the keys working perfectly for me is like, honestly, like it's really dope. It's something that I like didn't realize when I was listening to it the first time. Yeah, there's a lot of moments on this album where you feel you're about to get up and you're like, this isn't for me. This isn't working. It's not really, it's not sticking. But mm -hmm. the way he transfers those those chords that don't necessarily make sense into something workable is, mm -hmm. is I guess, part of the journey. And it's, yeah. it's holy cow, just like knocks you off your feet sometimes. Um, tell me a little bit about why you picked this album. Like when you were, when you agreed to coming on here, I was almost 100% sold. You were going to grab the Pimp a Butterfly yeah, I, <laughs> and we we're going to riff about this Pimp a Butterfly. But instead you're like, Grizzly Bear, let's fucking do it. You were, you were mentioning on the couch a little bit about, how you felt like this album choose you and how you feel a lot of actions in your life have chosen you. Mm -hmm. I would love for you to expound upon that. Well, I think definitely the reason I was, I didn't pick it to pimp a butterfly is because one, this podcast would be like 12 hours long. Two, <laughs> I already know what I'm going to say about it right. because I've, I've not only felt that album, I felt the effects of it. Mm -hmm. I've like applied it to my music. To me, the album's set in stone. Right. And I'm at a point in my life where I'm really excited about new things mm -hmm. because this whole idea that I have like with Synchro Destiny of feeling like I finally like I know what my life fulfillment is. I know what I want. I feel like when things come into my life now, they're extra important because 
it's taken me to the place I want to be because I've made that clear in my intentions, whatever I've been doing. Mm. So I think just trying diff- like trying something that's different will allow for an inspiration or something that will come into my life that I would have never thought of. Like, for example, like even doing this now and doing this album, like I want to get up and study records every day because I didn't know what I was going to. I really didn't know what I was going to feel from top to bottom with this record. Right. Um, and actually, uh, just opened up your world a little bit. Exactly. Right. Like that's right now. I'm really just trying to expand myself, and I think that's like we all, like I've I've heard this quote: "We all going to die stupid," and that's because <laughs> we don't know half of the things that we we're not even a, like a ten percent of the things that is it like right. that we can learn in this life. Absolutely. There is um there's this great YouTube video I watched a couple I probably about this time last year, and it was this guy who was coming to terms with his reading habits mm-hmm. uh, and he was meeting with this this guy who I don't, I don't know what his expertise was but he basically laid out at his current reading rate mm-hmm. how many books he would finish before he died and yeah. it was like six books and he put <laughs> those six books on a shelf for him mm-hmm. and he pointed at them he was like that is all you are going to know by the time you die these six books that's crazy he's like that's the rest of it that's the rest of the extra knowledge you're going to take on that's mm-hmm. not coming from social media from news from something that's been premeditated for you mm-hmm. um so i love that idea and it's and uh it certainly threw me a curveball with choosing veca timis but mm-hmm. i think it's so important that i think that's one of the reasons why i love records as well is because every time i put one on mm-hmm. i'm learning something new about myself i'm learning something new about this artist i'm learning I'm expanding my worldview. That's mm-hmm. why books and records are so timeless mm-hmm. is because it's it's collecting time. Yeah, I love that. You use the word synchro destiny. Mm-hmm. That's a term I'm not too familiar with and I'm not sure too many people <laughs> will understand. What mm-hmm. does that mean to you? To me, well, the first time I actually heard that word was I think like a week ago. I was getting my uh, my hair retwisted and the lady that does my hair, uh, Aaron, she... I was kind of explaining to her how I was feeling recently with things kind of just aligning for mm. me and just working because I've been putting into work like tour, like for whatever the goal is. Mm. And she, she immediately said synchro destiny. And I was like, okay, what is that? It's basically like when, uh, like when you have a goal, when you're, when you have like set intentions and you know what you're going to do and you, and you set those in your head. So you're making, you're like making decisions consciously and subconsciously to get towards that goal and the little things that come into your life while this the while this is happening while you're on the journey puts you even closer to that because you've made your intentions so clear mm. i think that's why and that kind of resonates with everything like with my choice of trying to bring in this new like album like something that i wouldn't something that i'm not comfortable with mm. it's i'm okay getting out of my comfort zone because since i know my destiny is me being out of my comfort zone isn't me being in a, in a bad place it's me like just learning because mm. I'm only going to get to this goal that I have in my head. So it sounds to me like you're a little bit of a, of a spiritual person to, to believe in these things kind of requires a belief in mm-hmm. something greater than yourself, something kind of putting together the dots while you move along your course. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you always been spiritual or how, what's your, been, what's your relationship been with yourself in this sense? Well, I, I grew up a Catholic. Mm. I was, um, I was confirmed in third grade. So I've always had a sense of there is something else out there, um, whether or not my sense of what this like this force is, this quote unquote God is, whether or not it was not tainted, but like whether or not it was swayed by what 
Catholicism thought of that. I think that throughout the years, like me being confirmed so early gave me so much time to understand what I was confirming to and what I was doing. So Mm. in high school, I slowly was starting to lose the idea of this one dude that's just taking control of the world Mm. and the urges of the universe. And I've kind of, I started feeling that connection with whatever other dimension it is or whatever other world it is without Catholicism. I just started feeling it. So when it came, when my brother passed in uh, 2016, I started like the week after uh, that it happened, the week after it happened, I guess it was, it's one of those things where like when you go through something really traumatic, like when you lose somebody, you start convincing yourself that they're still around no matter what, because it's a way to like cope. But there were things happening that felt like this is not just a coincidence. This is not me like guessing, you know, like I was at a park one time, took some edibles, chilling. I was like, all right, I'm gonna draw a little bit. I'm gonna do my thing. I was sitting uh, on a park bench with, with my girlfriend at the time, Guiana. And um, we just decided to meditate for like 10 minutes and then just draw whatever it is that we wanted to draw. Um, so I did that and I drew this like, character that had j-o-g with a cross in the middle and and the o like basically engraved that was my brother's initials i get up and we walk maybe like 200 feet in a cactus is literally engraved j with and a cross and g and i was like bro there's no way that that this is coincidence it doesn't make sense right i think that i've just had so many moments of like this has got to be something else to where i start to where i believe it and I take it on and I, it, it gives me whether or not it's, it's real or not. Cause I have no literal evidence or no way to calculate it, whether or not it's true or not, it's taken, it's gotten me to be able to get to a place of like introspection and, and self-actualization where I have so much faith in my voice and who I am that like, I can really take whatever this is to the next step and inspire many more people. Cause I don't have the burden of not knowing about not knowing if there's something else beyond this. Like, I feel like I know there is. So I try to do what I can do in this world. That's incredible. I didn't, I wasn't really aware that you had lost a brother. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I picked up it slightly through your, through your music. Mm -hmm. Um, You touched upon it in a couple different songs on a free radical with Mm -hmm. R.I.P. My brother and Modelo. Um, And then kind of what you just uh, said, you seem to have reiterated in, um, what song was it? I want to say reality dreams or no, it might've been exhausted where you're talking yep, about yep, yep, talking yep, yep, to yep. your brother and your lucid dreams. Mm-hmm. Can't begin to understand what that was like for you. So at 18 years old, this is all happening. Who, who were you at the time to like deal with this? Did you feel like you were really, did you know who you were at this time or did you feel mm-hmm. like this kind of this was a catalyst. This, this was, was it. This was the catalyst that changed everything for me. And I think that I was on the point to understanding. I was on the, the, I'm on the, I was on the route already to like understanding who I was and getting to the point where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that like for like when traumatic stuff like that happens, you can never truly be ready for it. Of course not. And as much as, as intense as it was, as much as it like really altered my life, I don't know what life would be without that happening right now. Right. You know, I can't even think about it not happening because it did. Right. 
And I think that just the realization that life will happen regardless and you can have your own plans of what you want to do and become something you want to do. But like people, sometimes stuff happens like, like bad, quote unquote, bad stuff happens to good people. And it's just like whatever it was meant for them in this life, like they already did that, you know? And I think that going to, going back to the uh, the question you asked, like, I was not ready. I was definitely not ready, but I was. If that like it sounds crazy, but like you seem to have just understood this is this is life this is, now. I have to live with it or self destruct. That's literally actually you just hit the nail on the head. I that's when I realized life happens. You either go and like deal with it or you literally just self destruct and you can't deal with it because mm-hmm. it's gonna move regardless of whether you wanna move. And that kind of that thing with my brother definitely was like, it was a catalyst. And it was kind of crazy because the night before all this stuff happened, I, uh, I was talking about, I was talking about my relationship with my, my ex, ex-girlfriend. Um, and he basically asked me, like, he, he never really, like, we were, and, and this, this is also the part that sucks is that we never were as close as we were, literally until the day before he died like we were we were finally at a point where it's like when you're kid when we were kids it was like we were twins everything i was literally his shadow and then it got to a point where it was like all right i'm gonna start doing my own thing and be stupid because i'm like i'm in high school like i'm like just around a bunch of kids of that are you know how it is and we kind of lost touch a little bit there but then we finally got to the point where we were like both being adults and we're both having the relationship that we finally wanted. Like it was the same relationship we had as kids, but now we're adults and can just understand our emotions and everything. So it was just like, it was just crazy. Like our, like our connection was, it, it was just beyond. It just felt like I was connected to him without like humanistic, like the humanistic part away from all this. I've always felt like we were the same spirit in two different bodies. And so losing his physical didn't like, it sucks. Obviously I want to give him a hug. I want to show him my music, but I know he hears it wherever he is. And I know that losing his physical was not losing his spirit. If anything, I took on his spirit and I feel like that empowerment. That's the reason that I, I feel like I can go through my days because I have a guardian angel. Like I don't feel like I can fail. Why do you think you developed this mindset at such a young age? Like that seems like a, a very impressive mentality to have adopted. I, I know many people who have dealt with death in far worse ways and death of people not nearly as close to them. You lost your yeah, physical brother, yes, but also yeah. like the other half of your spirit. And it seemed at such a young age, you were well equipped to, to cope with this and move mm-hmm. forward. What was... Why do you, do you think this came from your parents? Is this something that you developed on your own as a kid? Paint a picture of your life growing up in Tampa Bay for me. Well, I think that, first off, I think that whatever came over me to allow me to deal with the situation the way I did was just, it was beyond me. The whole thing about divine intuition, about something coming into my life and and, and basically just giving me the ability to like, to go on in this way i think that like looking back on it that is it i guess like it is the catalyst for who i am today but it is also like it was it just had to happen i just feel like the whole thing about feeling like being a watcher of my body like i'm basically the way i look at it is i'm a spirit having a human experience Mm -hmm. 
And to really encapture the idea of this artist that I'm trying to create that's going to leave music, that's going to leave knowledge for hopefully century, like beyond that, eons, you know, like that, it was just me coming into understanding who that person was and something that monumental and that traumatic happening. I knew at that time it was either I go down, like I go into a dark place really deep and just say, woe is me and say, life is, you know, like life is stacked up against me. Exactly. Or I do the complete opposite. And I take this like, because it's a lot of energy. To me, it's a lot of like energy at the time. All these people coming in to see you finally. I finally saw my uh, my nephew for the first time in years, mm-hmm. like at a funeral. And um, it was just a lot of energy. Like I, I like the idea of me being an alchemist and whatever energy that I've been given, no matter if it's negative, whatever it is, I just try to turn it into gold. And I don't know, honestly, I don't know where the mentality came from, like to deal with that. But I know that it did help to have the fact that, or to have my parents who were like, my mom is the, it was the room mom in third grade. My mom was the one packing me hamburger helper in a big ass thermos in like third, fourth, fifth grade while everyone else was like eating like meal, like lunchables, lunchables. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like my mom would get up every morning and make right. like, that's how much she loved us. Yeah. My dad's legally blind. He can barely see the computer monitor, but he's a computer programmer and he's the top one. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. He, what it's, the fuck? It's. Dude, I'm telling you, I think, actually, I I don't know why I'm saying I don't know where I get it from. That's exactly what it is. (laughs) My father is half blind and and programs computers nine to five. Oh, she, uh, my mom also lost her first husband, the one that she had the, uh, my sister with in a car accident. She just, but instead of like, I'm talking a lot about like the sad thing or just kind of like the heavy stuff, like. They've all dealt with that. Yeah. Well, the heavy stuff really helps us to navigate later on in life. Like Mm -hmm. I attribute most of my life now and I, I i'm i feel very fortunate to kind of have a firm grip on who i am as a person mm-hmm. like know thyself has been very potent for me because i spent a lot of time dealing with negative shit mm-hmm. and as a kid you either deal with negative shit in two ways you learn how to make it make you a better person you you learn to take what you can from it mm-hmm. or you go the other way and you recede inwards but in a negative way mm-hmm. so while you're mentioning all the negative stuff, it, it's paramount for who you are now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's adversity builds character. Mm-hmm. Um, and that character becomes who you are later in life. You know, it helps you keep the grit to push through when times are hard, to keep writing music when songs mm-hmm. aren't hitting. Like all of that is attributed to how you dealt with heavy shit as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, the good times are great and the more the merrier, but the good times aren't teaching as much as, 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 a, as a bad time will. Um, but it sounds like you grew up in a household full of, full of warriors. Um, did you grow up, did you experience death prior to your brother passing, or was that your first encounter? I experienced it before um, my eighth grade, my, my eighth grade homie, actually, uh, Hank McWilliams, rest in peace. Um, we used to go, we used to, it was like our eighth grade squad was us going to his house on Clearwater beach and just like skateboarding, having a time of our, just having a time of our life in eighth grade, like peak, like video games, uh, just any, any, you know, just eighth grade stuff. But yeah, he, a couple, a couple years later, I got, I randomly got a call 
I think this was like, and I just saw him. Like I was, he came to New York. Um, and this is when I was going to school at St. John's for, uh, by the way, I only went there for one semester. I was going for <laughs> business management. I was like, ah, I want to be a rapper. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I saw him the one last time. And then I got a call, like, a, like, I think it was like a couple weeks later after seeing him. And it was like, yo, like Hank, Hank passed away last time, man. Cause he took a bad drug. I think he took, I, I think he took bad Molly or something. And In I eighth grade. And no, no, this, I'm sorry. This is, this is like, uh, oh, he was your homie from, he was the homie from eighth gotcha. grade. Like the, like eighth grade was like right. peak, like, like squad. Right. Like, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. So after I seen him in college, so this was around like the time I was, this was probably like a couple months before my brother passed. Um, Fuck. and I was just like, yeah, this is crazy. And actually around that time, um, my grandma was driving to work and, uh, early in the morning. And there's this guy that always goes on his bike like on his motorbike in the morning and just like goes really fast. Like just goes like a hundred down the street just to like, cause it's like an open street. Um, and she made a left on this turn and where it's like one of those where it's not a green arrow, but it's a green light. So you gotta just be wary and make a left. She made a left and it was fine. But this guy was coming down the street going a hundred smacked into the back of her car and just flipped over and she went to go check on him. He said a word and then he literally just died. And this was, mind you, this was a month before this stuff happened to my brother. Mm-hmm. So there was this weird energy going on where, like, my grandma was, like, people, like, my grandma had people, like, threatening coming to, trying to find her because the the dude that ran into her on a motorbike was, like, was a father, had, like, two kids and, and a wife, and... An example of people dealing with death negatively. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They decided, because <laughs> they, they, when you, when someone dies, you want to blame someone. Yeah, of course. But at the end of the day, if you can't change it, first off, why why stress about it? And second, it's nobody's fault. It's whatever whatever path, whatever universe path put them in that situation to be there. That's just frankly what it is. Yeah. So it's funny that it's it's crazy you ask that because I think I really dealt with death the most pretty soon before my brother passed. So it was almost like preparing me for right. something. How and strange. Yeah, it's. That's uh, that's crazy. I never really like come back and think about that. Like it really, I really felt that. Yeah. Like close before he passed. Yeah, man. That's um that's something I've ever since moving out on my own um and getting my own place and living with my fiance and being away from the nest mm-hmm. um from my mom and all that stuff. Um, I've noticed this exact pattern where talking with people, honestly, openly, vulnerably has really helped me to one experience and 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 locate trauma where it lies and realize that things that I I kind of normalized growing up I didn't necessarily see as traumatic until I put some space between it and revisited it uh later like I was talking to my sister a couple months ago and she brought up something about the way that we were raised mm-hmm. um in New Orleans and she was like didn't you find that a little bit weird and I was like, at the time, no. But now that you mention it, that's kind of crazy. And it's interesting that like recognizing these patterns can sound harmful, but when you when you can connect a dot in your psyche and be like, okay, this kind of makes sense, because that particular thing, um, which I just mentioned, was when I was young, uh, my mom got engaged to, or got married to this man who was uh, in New Orleans, and uh, he was a doctor and all this stuff, mm. and. My mom up until that point had like kind of a, I guess like a lower income life. Like she 
she was a model for a while and she got to travel the world. But after that, she was, after she uh, got back from that and she wasn't with my father anymore, she was raising me and my sister in New Orleans, working as many jobs as she could possibly do in like retail or whatever, anything that can make her money. Um, she was just trying to do to put food on the table. And so when she ended up getting married to this doctor, like he was really going like Disney dad on it. You know, it was, mm-hmm. he was showing her the good life. They were traveling to China. They were traveling to everywhere, like Prague, mm-hmm. um, Europe. And during those times, my sister and I were basically left at home with a babysitter. And our babysitter was like, didn't, I think she's from El Salvador. Like she didn't even speak English. She mm-hmm. would drive us to school. She would heat up meals, stuff like that. And my sister brought this to my attention and she was like, those would be like days, sometimes weeks where we would just be by ourselves Mm -hmm. as like young developing adults. And I was able to, once I recognized that, I was like, oh, that's probably why I feel so comfortable being alone now and why Mm -hmm. I've been able to develop some sort of healthy coping mechanisms for myself to deal with when shit gets sad and there's Mm -hmm. nobody there that can help you, you know? Um, And I think it's so important for us to sit down and talk about the shit that we don't necessarily want to talk about or that we don't get to talk about, Mm -hmm. um, such as deaths in the family, how that, how that really came to form you as a human. So I really appreciate you talking about this. I know it can be hard and I know it can be strange to kind of see yourself in this light and see yourself from almost like a bird's eye view. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden it kind of brings you out of yourself for a second. You're like, whoa, Mm -hmm. this happened to me. This was some tough shit. Yeah. But you know what? Here I am. And, you know, I'm still, still kicking. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Uh, these little things, all they all add up. Mm-hmm. Um, so prior, like, did you, do you feel like you lived like kind of a normal childhood in that sense? Like up to this happening? Was it, was it all? Yeah. I think, honestly, all gravy? I think everything was gravy. I mean, everything was gravy. And, and, Looking back at it, relatively, the problems that were quote-unquote problems were never really problems. And in the same way that this has helped me grow to become who I am, it's helped my parents grow to become who they are, too. Because they, obviously, when you when you lose a kid, and that's 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 what I've always understood. I think it was it was easier to deal with it because losing with a bro- losing a brother obviously it's horrible. And also that's my only brother, and my sister doesn't. I don't really talk to my sister, so it's kind of like a it's me, my mom, my dad, my grandma situation. Right. But when that when that happens and you lose a kid, or like just something traumatic, they they also have the decision to go down like dark or just to like bring Absolutely. themselves up. But I hope I think that and and whether or not it's true or not, I think that me, the way I took this, the way I was just started, like, it became, it became a catalyst for me to, like, succeed and do what I want to do. It, like, I think that it helped them also, like, have this better understanding of what the purpose is in their life. Because, like, they, all they would do, like, when I grew up was, like, they would, they would do for us. They wouldn't have, like, my, they didn't have, like, family friends coming over like that. Mm-hmm. Like, they were hold. They held a very high standard when it came to interacting, like letting people interact with their kids and whatnot. So we never like. It was just it. It was it was like, they really made sure that we were given the love and support, the t- the creative tools and everything to like be who we wanted to be and just know ourselves. So I think that throughout like my childhood was. I, it was basically like me doing a lot. Like I play a lot of video games. I like. Were you a loner, or do you? Were you kind of a social? 
I was pretty, yeah, as, as a kid, I was pretty social. I was also, I went to a private school. Actually, I went to, this is a funny, okay, it was a funny story. I was <laughs> in, um, it was from kindergarten, from kindergarten to second grade, I was in this public school called High Point. Okay. Um, now, they always talk about how southern schools are just, the public schools are just, don't slap, <laughs> and this especially didn't slap. <laughs> Actually, as a matter of fact, my mom came in one day in second grade at like 11 a.m., Mind you, there's three hours left of school on top of that. She comes in there, and everyone's watching Spongebob. And my mom's like, oh, are they done with it? Uh, so what's, why are they watching Spongebob? Like, what's, what's going on? It's, only, it's literally 11 o'clock. She's like, oh, they're done with their lesson for today. So my teacher basically just, quote, unquote, taught until 11 a.m. And then just threw on Spongebob and sat on her phone at the desk. Until what, like 3 o'clock? Until 3 fucking hell so so my mom was like nah we're getting you out of here we're gonna put you in a school where like they they're kind of they're paying attention to you see that shit like that blows my mind and and that is so important to hear because a lot of people who have not grown up in different communities other i guess specifically a lot of white people who have not grown up in communities outside of their middle class or upper class Mm -hmm. communities don't understand like what that gap between good and bad education looks like Mm -hmm. Um, and we very commonly forget that the people teaching your kids are people that have to rely on a paycheck and if they don't feel like they're getting taken care of why are they going to go above and beyond to take care of your kids and a lot of these schools and a lot of these places don't have proper resources to really inspire progressive education to really inspire these teachers to get in the trenches with these kids and go the extra mile like you just told me that your teacher would tap out at around eleven, what starting at like eight o'clock to teach the well, day. Yeah, school starting at like seven forty-five, eight o'clock. So in a couple hours, she's tapped out. She's like, "Let's just give the kids what they want," mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then, fuck, that really pa- that paints a grisly picture of like what what shit looks like in outside of middle class America, man. Oh. That's, and that could, we could, hell. we could have a whole another <laughs> yeah, podcast literally a, about education like, and the importance of it, man. It's mm-hmm. the, the, I've been pretty fortunate to grow up in, I would say all social classes and, 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 um, uh, income classes. Um, I grew up, I would say lower class, like, uh, living with my grandma, mm-hmm. my mom working at many jobs as possible in new Orleans and, mm-hmm all that shit, like not having cable TV, couldn't yeah. afford it, like eating Vienna sausages out of the fucking thing. Spam, like, all yeah, that. like yep. straight up. But then I also was able to experience upper class when my mom got remarried and we mm-hmm. moved to New York and we were living in a brownstone and we were really living this beautiful life of going to Massachusetts and having a summer home and snowboarding and doing all this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, it's given me these lenses to view uh, and to, to look for from. And to compare the education that I got later in my life with people of my similar age that did not grow up or get to go to high school where I went in Shore Hills, New Jersey is absolutely, absolutely mind bending. Like stuff that you think is common knowledge. Like, okay, yeah, we learned about the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand to kick off World War One. But I've had conversations with people who finished high school. Who are like, what are you talking about? Fuck is that? (laughs) (laughs) And but that's like, it's insane. How how do we expect kids in, in these communities that are not getting the same level of attention as kids in upper class communities to compete at the same level when it comes to 
going to college, competing for the same places on a college roster, competing for the same jobs in the corporate workforce. It's absolute madness. Mm-hmm. Uh, something we got to work on. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's go political system. Let's mm-hmm. find something. Anyways, so pretty, pretty normal childhood up, yeah. until, up until 17, 18, when mm-hmm. things kind of, I guess, fell apart. Mm-hmm. What was steering you towards making music in, in this time? Like, were you listening to music as a kid? Were you attracted to it always? Or like, where did, where did this urge to commit, your, to commit yourself to mm-hmm. this crazy pursuit of, I want to be an entertainer at mm-hmm. a high level. Mm-hmm. I want to be potentially famous. I want to be potentially rich. Like, this is a crazy pursuit. Mm-hmm. Where did this come from? Because no sane person yeah, no. <laughs> is like, yo, let me just go do this. Yeah, it was, it was in, in, like I said, I was in school for business management. And I literally was like, <laughs> I don't want to do this. I just want to rap. <laughs> so I'm going to do whatever I need to do to just rap. Uh-huh. You know, um, This actually, it's, it's funny that you asked that because I like thinking about it. I'm like, I've actually been really into music for a while, but mm-hmm. it isn't. It isn't the typical story of oh my dad listened to Wu Tang ODB like I was <laughs> like right. he I just loved rap yeah I it didn't start with rap it it started with actually as a matter of fact I think there's a was it uh, Janet Jackson song I forget what song it was but there's one song that just hit for me I just like when I was a kid I still remember it I'm like I just want you to play this song life isn't good until you play this song <laughs> so that's what connected me to music beyond like that's that's like the the feeling we get now that's like this like ethereal like 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 uh altered dimension that we go into when we listen to music i felt that for the first time at a very young age shout out janet jackson shout out janet jackson she when i meet her one day i'm gonna be like you i am me because of you wow quick interjection my first cd i ever owned was um confessions by usher really I don't, somebody just gifted to me for like mm-hmm. i didn't ask for it like i wasn't particularly into it somebody just gave me this cd like yeah. the special edition and that shit just opened up my world like the same way janet jackson did like mm-hmm. i was just up in my room as like an eight-year-old like bumping bumping bumpin usher, usher bro like every track like knowing that shit That's so that, it's so funny how that, that there's just that one thing that you didn't particularly ask for as a mm-hmm. kid that just opens up your whole world yeah, and that's and, uh, we can touch back on this, but that's why I believe that when it comes to music, if if someone hasn't heard a crazy album that's like really good that everyone's heard, I'm never like, oh, you're sleeping, you should listen to that. I feel like music hits people at the right time. Mm. Like the fact that I've known this song "Ready Able" off of this project that I've like I've I've sat there and made skate three videos to that song. <laughs> you know, like the fact that I've. I feel this cover in my bone, like in my soul, because I've seen it so much. Mm-hmm. But the fact I've never sit down with it until right now was meant to be. Right. Synchro Destiny. Exactly. <laughs> but um, to, to go back to the other thing about when I was young, like Jan Jackson was the one that opened me up to the uh, just like feeling something from music. Then I started playing Dance Dance Revolution with my brother. Oh, fuck. Bro expert mode <laughs> i was i've been tapped into the beats of music Fuck since yeah man six seven um were you at the arcades on the on the ddr bro, we were at the arcades with our hand oh, holding yeah. on to the bar behind us doing the whole <laughs> yeah. tapped it bro we're going crazy we're at celebration station every weekend dude i have this vision just engraved in my memory 
of being like a young, I don't know how old I was, but I remember I was just walking past this arcade in the mall in New Orleans, mm. and there was this dude on the DDR machine just fucking <laughs> yeah. getting it, dude. Like the most 2000s dude you've ever seen. Like, well, like Fitted Cat? You know, no, 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 no. He was like this this white dude. He had like the straight up like the spiky hair. Not oh, like, not oh, like now the, quaffed up. Like they were all like... Oh, like Timberlake boy band. Like, like individually stop, like spiked. And he had those those like weird like goth pants, you know oh, what I'm talking yep, about? Yep, the yep, wide yep, leg yep. shits. Dude, he didn't even need the back bar. He was just like Yo, he was hitting this shit like nobody has ever seen before. And for a minute I was like, I wanna be that dude yeah. <laughs> when I'm older. But all right. So DDR so DDR was the in next, a little bit more. Was the next thing I tapped in. Actually my I think my my the the fact that I played video games and the fact that I was playing a video game that the premise of it was dancing to the beat of the music, mm. I've always been, like, my dexterity has been crazy. I've always just been, like, really tapped into the beats of things, which is why I realize now, like, I do my best when I'm producing drums and rapping because I feel drums to, mm. like, my core. Like, I, I can, I, I rap to drums. Like, so, from DDR, I went to a game called Amplitude, which was a game where like, it's basically like Guitar Hero, where um, you gotta uh, hit the notes, but you switch from track to track. Like I'm playing, like one note is hitting the melody of the vocal. The next track is like the melody of the drums. And basically like, you had to hit every note on the track to make that, like the vocals play for a little bit until you have to jump back and go to that note. So if you had to hit all these notes, like go all the way right on the D pad to the next track, hit every note and keep on doing that. So I think that I was training my brain at a young age to be really tapped into like the melody of whether it's the vocals, drums, right. the guitar, being able to like do the that underlying with my hand. shit. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I, I too have to attribute a lot of my love for music to video games. When I was, I think the, the one that I really tapped into was uh fallout 3 i don't know if you ever played oh, it oh yeah, yeah yeah but they had this incredible in-game radio station which uh had like its own like in-game radio host but mm -hmm. it, they played only like old jazzy shit like oh, ella fitzgerald sick. and louis armstrong nice. and you're walking around like this super apocalyptic world and something about this atmosphere it created was so tangible i just like basically downloaded that whole soundtrack on my mm -hmm. computer and was just listening to that very casually like i just loved the songs that i, I that i was in mm -hmm. that i was listening to and that is what kicked off my love for like jazz music, mm -hmm. which is interesting because I grew up in New Orleans, never like jazz music music until I played a video game in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's like it's my whole thing. And then I can almost pinpoint my life now. Like I can trace it back to what album I was listening to the mm -hmm. most to what video game. Mm -hmm. Like I could tell you right now, I, when I was playing Skyrim, I was bumping the weekend's uh, House of Balloons Thursday and Echoes oh, of Silence, yeah. uh, like shit like that. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was playing Battlefield 4, I was bumping so much Jay Dilla. Mm -hmm. Like all, it's it's so interesting like how these cultures have kind of how like merged and really, it really kind of forms the building blocks. That's that's definitely, that's, that's the other thing too, it's crazy, it's like, Having the realization about like that music brings you to a world like is the first realization mm -hmm. that like is important to like really understand music at this like next level. Right. Great way to put it. So that's why like video games, like for example, you say that for me, like Halo, I think it was like Halo 5 Guardians was blonde. 
Because mm. I remember listening to Blonde the first time playing that game, and I literally remember the ice, like the snowy map I was on. Yeah, it's, it's like so fucking funny. It's crazy. Like even like Spyro, for example, the the world that Spyro took me into when I first played is probably the the, the dragon I've been chasing since I played. Like <laughs> this is this is funny actually because it starts as like we were having this. I was having a conversation with my friend Holmes or my manager Holmes the other day, and um. It's it's crazy how when we're born, like when we're young, we have this like awareness of the world that's so pure and innocent and oh just God, like yeah. we're sponges. Right. We take that in and we get to a point as we're growing up where that starts getting blocked out. We start operating more off of ego hmm. because everyone's operating off of ego. So you kind of lose that sense of just like creativity, happiness, like uh, openness to the world that like you had as a child. So I feel like. I'm at the point now where I've coming around back to that sense of of wanting to understand more about the world. Like right. The same thing I had when I was young. So that's why like Spyro put me into this crazy world that I'm now figuring out how to put people into because I'm understanding what that is. You're understanding that to make good music, you have to capture feeling. Yeah, to capture feeling and you have to put people in a place like you are the curator of the emotions that they're about to feel you're the curator of whatever whatever they're going to feel whatever they're going to say after they listen it is all up to you and like understanding the power of music is half of the battle when it comes to making really good music because like we said though like this album listening to it those instruments and everything that's in there is is perfectly placed the same thing i said about when i walked into the apartment everything is there for a reason right there's nothing there's no clutter so intentional design Exactly. And you have to, if, when you're very, when you're very intentional, what you do, whether it's music or just the way you live, you're going to get what you want out of it because you're not leaving, like you're not throwing other variables in the situation to like distract the person from the world. And in my case, distract myself from my, from my path. Understanding that you need to put people into world is a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. Something um, uh, interesting that I wrote about Vecca Timmis when we were listening was the the amount of underlying sounds that the, the little instruments that he would put in there, like whether it was like a tiny little bell or um, at some point it sounded like he put voices like mm-hmm. very far in the back, mm-hmm. very, very muted to the point where I thought somebody was like talking, talking in the hallway yeah, yeah, yeah. or some shit, but it was in the music. And what that did, it was it really brought a sense of um, a sense of, of, of like vitality to to the work like it felt alive and it felt organic it felt almost like you're listening to a creature live out its existence as opposed to somebody hopping in the booth to make a hot track like and um i think you and josh and jason and uh will you guys have done such a fantastic job on free radical at just creating that soundscape like this is one of the most interesting and most impressively produced slash performed albums i've heard from anybody in the past couple of years Thank like you. doesn't matter like how established they are and this is your debut mm-hmm. i was actually i was blown away by just how refined it sounded and how tapped in as a unit you guys seemed mm-hmm. and me and jason touched upon a lot of that came from collaboration you guys all were hopping in there giving each other feedback on each step of the process mm-hmm. um so i love i love that you have that awareness that like the most important thing to understanding music is first it has to take you somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, going back to video games, video games allowed us to go somewhere because it already had our uh, minds 
um, like mechanical attention. Mm-hmm. So it turned off that part of us that's being too over analytical towards the music yeah. and it opened up your ears. So like literally I remember walking through Skyrim, you know, and Abel's like singing some sad shit. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Hey, I'm like, what the <laughs> I'm like that shit sounds pretty good, man. Yeah, it hits, and it it's, hits. It, it hits different when you're not paying like, uh, too much attention to it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's dope, man. I would love to, uh, touch on you, being Janza and a little bit more on some of the stuff on your album in the next couple of minutes. Uh, going back to the beginning of our conversation, you referred to yourself or Janza as an idea, mm-hmm. um, which I found was very interesting. Have you ever heard of the hero's journey, the hero's path? Are you familiar with that phrase? Mm-hmm. So there is a very famous author slash mythologist named Joseph Campbell. And he kind of coined the term, the hero's journey. Um, And this is a journey that he was able to observe throughout basically all the mythologies that we've known as men. And he noticed that they all go on a very similar arc, which he called the hero's journey. And people started adopting this phrase as a philosophy for life, as kind of living your life upon the hero's journey, writing yourself as a, as a, as a character in a novel that you would want to reread time and time again. And I find that a lot of people who are pursuing a life of, I get what's the right, what's the right phrase here? Um, pursuing a life of being extraordinary. Mm-hmm. They kind of naturally adopt this this phrase where it's like you have to walk this fine line between being completely narcissistic and completely grounded, and it, everything everything has to be done in a fine balance. And I think that's just kind of the memo to life in general: is balance, 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 balance. And so the hero's journey, you have to have this heightened self awareness to the point where you can look at other people and be like, okay, I'm not like them but you also have to stop yourself from being, I'm better than them, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Mm -hmm. How have you kind of reckoned with this natural philosophy you've kind of obtained? And do you see yourself upon, does that seem to make sense to you Mm -hmm. that you are on the hero's journey? And what's this kind of narrative like with yourself? Well, first off, fire question. question. (laughs) I've been waiting for somebody to ask that question. I had never heard of the hero's journey before the, before this, but you just explained exactly what I'm doing. I I see Jonza as I'm using Jonza as a character. It sounds like a parable and like a, 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 a like a Bible story or something. I'm using Jonza's journey to self actualization as a way to relate, so people can relate to, so they can like understand as well like throughout like while while i'm finding myself while johns is finding himself people are also finding themselves so like johns is like i said a character that's trying to that's trying to find himself and i want my discography with free radical being the first thing and the imagery is me ascending it's ascending into this world of like truly create just like creating music whether it's the industry whatever world i put myself in when i launched johns with free radical I wanted to that to be the beginning of everything. I have like I want my discography to start as like it starts with Free Radical. I have another project that I'm that working on right now called Private Property and it's about the using like basically when you treat your sense of self as private property and live through your ego but still have treat yourself as private property. Like treat your sense of self as private property in the sense that like 
you don't want people to know how you're truly feeling your emotions. Like you don't, you don't want, like you're, you're guarded. You're mm. guarded because you've been tainted by life. Like free radicals, my trauma, private property is being, is the after effects of exposing my trauma to everyone mm-hmm. at such a, at such like an early stage, a young stage. As like you were saying with the, uh, with the hero's journey, I see John's a, just every album just getting more and more introspective more like understanding more and more his purpose his his sense of self and i don't know where that ends yet because i don't think the journey truly ends i'm just going to keep on making projects that like is like a step up basically like the next step so yeah. so john's a, the idea of john's is really kind of evolving into a catalog of you kind of writing and rapping and performing for some sort of inner peace mm-hmm. it, it looks like you know mm-hmm. starting with trauma uh, and then private property when you say uh, do you feel like you've overexposed yourself do you find that being um shelled in to be a good practice or what's your approach on it on private property i think that private property is more about me tapping into Johnza the character mm-hmm. and free radical was more about justin mm-hmm. but it was still john quote unquote Johnza. the whole idea of trying to fo- follow the line of the whole like narcissism and the whole like just un- the, basically the opposite mm-hmm. i find that private property is all it's like Johnza basically in his narcissistic bag but at the end of the project <laughs> that's crazy verb is narcissistic bag <laughs> if there's ever a blend of of slangs in the yeah, world there yeah, you go narcissistic bag <laughs> that's where it's, future language is evolving to <laughs> that's crazy honestly <laughs> english is not gonna be the same in 100 no, years right? Not. not at all but yeah john's evolving into a narcissistic or not evolving john's in a narcissistic bag and at the end of the project it's this the actualization that the journey that he just put himself on being a narcissist, like whatever happens from that journey, he put himself through that. Mm. And it's just him understanding. So the underlying theme of everything is John's understanding. And I think that. So do you feel like you've been a narcissist in the past and like you, you had to reckon with that? I think honestly, I feel like I was the opposite. Okay. I feel like I was more like I never really tapped into Johnza, even though I was Johnza for so long. Like this idea of what I want Johnza to be, mm. and I think this is the first time I was able to really like be Johnza, but be aware enough to not fall into the like. If I'm trying to make a story about Johnza coming to the point where he's like really self-actualized, he's just really in tune. I can't identify with my second project because that's him still on the journey. I can only tap into what I feel that is. And I have to understand myself enough to be able to pull myself out of what private property is. Like I only can tap into private property when I'm making the project and then remove myself from it. Because at the end of the day, this is, this is not, this is only the second project so you're in this next project you're kind of trying to create and leave Johnza in the studio mm-hmm. whereas you feel like on free radical you brought justin and Johnza in the studio exactly okay. i was i was kind of like intertwining my personal like problems or my, my whatever i was going through personally with Johnza. but the thing is Johnza wasn't going through anything justin was right so i think that's why like private property is so crazy and the cover is black and white and it's kind of just Johnza finally in black and white. Like Justin is removed from this. Mm. This is all about Johnza. 
And so that's why I'm really excited about this because I don't think I and I don't think I've ever really got to explain Johnza without without being tainted by Justin. Right. So this is like also it's going to be my debut album. Right. It's very hard to lean into a um I guess like an alter ego mm-hmm. um because especially when you're so young cuz you feel like so many people can be affected by your I guess dismissal of say Justin yeah. or and your your embrace of Johnza um and it's always an intimidating process of you know who you want to be you see this clear image of this is the person I can be but who I am right now you know maybe Justin or in my sense maybe Christian mm-hmm. is limiting me from being this person because of the baggage I carry right now mm-hmm. um so I I I love that. I, and I, I wish you the best with, with tackling that dynamic because it's tough. But if you can do it, like, you know, that's when you open up doors to really start manipulating the world around you in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite uh, rap lines ever, people are going to fucking laugh at me for this, um, is on uh, Light Up by uh-huh. Drake. But Jay-Z's verse, he says, uh, he says, sorry, mama, I promise I wouldn't change, but I would have gone insane had I remained the same me. That's as far as... Fuck, uh, what did he say? I can't say that part. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll come in for you. you yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck niggas. bitches too. <laughs> uh, but I fucking, great. I love that line because yeah. like that's, every time I hear that song and I hear him go through that, like I just can relate to that on mm-hmm. such a, on such a deep level. You know, um, a little bit about my history is like I, I used to write and perform hip hop as well mm-hmm. under the uh, moniker Duke Jasper. And when I was hard, <laughs> he was dope, but, <laughs> but, um, I got too into him, um, so much so that like he became more me and it was like less music and more just myself. Mm-hmm. Like I started, I stopped writing music as much as I would like to, to really, I guess, justify that personality. Mm. But Duke Jasper became me and it was this persona I was creating based around hip hop, you know, mm-hmm. and it was hard and he was you know, it was this different, this different beast. And I am not Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And I noticed like looking back now, like six years removed from, from that part of my life, Mm -hmm. it was such a different person. Like I don't associate with who Duke Jasper was now, but I love the idea that you can reinvent yourself in any minute. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the, the, the difference between people who, do something great with their life and people who kind of wallow it away and realize it all flash by them one day is they are able to deal with the cost of potentially cutting off a part of yourself mm-hmm. to cut off one limb and grow out a new one. Yeah. Um, so that's super interesting. Uh, let's dive into a little bit about Modelo and I mean, not, not Modelo. Right, right, that, right. I think that's my, that's my favorite song off the right, tape, right. but um, let's dive a little bit into free radical um and like the process of creating it what when did you come out to LA and start working on on Free Radical I want to say 2018 I think yeah it was around 2018 I came out and started working with Will mm-hmm. um he let me stay at his spot in uh Studio City um and the process kind of started with just like trying to make songs cuz I had met him like the last time I was in LA probably like six maybe seven months before that and i saved his name under my phone as will beats 
and I never remembered his name, but the only <laughs> thing I remembered is that he was playing some hot ass beat claps. Right. So um, and we never made music before this. So him inviting me to come out uh, to literally just like he's like, yo, kick it on my couch. We'll figure out food. We'll, we'll get it in. We'll do what we need to do. Um, let's just work on music. Um, so he put me up. We started working on these projects. And I think one of the first couple songs that we made was uh, it was reminiscent was actually the first song or like the second song we made together. The second song or and the first song that was on the project we made. I'm sorry. Close to that. Um, we were just kind of just this the day. Actually, this is it, it went from like uh, we would get up and like go on a run and we would come back. We would uh, we would study music and then we would go into the booth. What did that studying look like? Studying was, it was either listening just to like old jazz vinyls because he's classically trained Dope. and he's the best pianist I've ever seen play in my entire life. And I can put that on anything. Fucking props. And he was just, it was just this, like the way that we would analyze records and the way that I even see him analyze records was, it gave me the confidence in him and the understanding that it's like, there's something way deeper to this music. And you want to, and you're tapping into that. And whether or right. not we are all super tapped into what that is right now, we all have, we're all yearning to do right. that. All have that intention. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would just, it just basically be get up, run, study some music and go in the studio, see what works. Then Jason came um, back to LA, I think around June, June or July. And then we started working on music with him. We started hopping in and working on, uh, I forget what the I forget what the first song we made, but it's basically like it's pretty even with the half split about like with production and with and with Josh and everything. But a lot of the process was like throwing paint at a wall and then standing back. Paint or pain? Paint. Okay. Throwing paint, that's also crazy though. Throwing <laughs> it, it was literally throwing everyone was like throwing paint at a wall or at a canvas. Right. And we were really close to the to the the picture, whatever it was. And then when we were like almost tired, we were like, all right, let's step back. We all stepped back. We looked at what was on the wall. And then we tried to all come up with what we thought that one image was and connect the lines and finish and finish the painting by ourselves. And how informed were they on like the, I guess, where you were going with the album? Because it seems like a deeply personally motivated album mm -hmm. were they as privy to that idea as you were or did you kind of lead them along song by song and let them piece it together i think that with the the intentions in the beginning of this project um wasn't as clear as it was near the end of the project we were just trying to make a tape as a matter of fact we we're me and will were going to make the blue tape and the pink tape hmm. blue tape was gonna be chill songs pink tape was gonna be hot hot right. beats whatever right. and it just turned into this into what free radical was and since no one really knew what it was necessarily, it was all, it was, it was like we were all giving each other creative liberty. And I didn't really understand that I was putting the first project on my discography until like six or seven months into the process. So that's when I started taking a hold of like what this was for me because everyone had their creative liberty on production and like, and no one else was like lyrically like on the tracks, mm -hmm. but like of what they thought worked the best out of the takes that I had. Everyone was kind of just making music. And I started putting it together and forming a narrative and understanding what it really was. Like I said, probably six or seven months in and the whole thing probably took like a year. 
And I, I've been in the studio with you on, um, I think, one or two occasions. And your ability to improvise lyrics and just entire songs is just unparalleled from what I've seen, like uh, anybody who's, who's so young into their music career. Um, how much, how much, how many of the tracks on this came from almost like a pure improvisation in the moment spot, like in the booth, like you would just get in the booth and just, just start go. beautiful melodies, like crazy bars, like <laughs> dope verses, just everything. Like you'd throw anything and everything mm -hmm. out there and a lot of it would work. So how much of this album was premeditated where you're sitting down with the pen and you're like, I got something I got to get off my chest. I'm feeling the stream mm -hmm. of consciousness right now and I have to sit down and write it versus I'm going to hop into the, the booth and see what happens. Honestly, I could go through every song real fast and tell you. I think that Free Radical, I, Free Radical was literally, I heard Jason, I was on the phone on the balcony with the, with the, uh, glass door closed and Jason was making a beat in the living room and I heard the bass rumbling and I was just like okay that's fire bass like, like whatever that pattern is so I just start writing immediately and I just write like 32 bars and this is like it isn't technically freestyle but it came out of nowhere right. and the writing session like from top to bottom like I just kept flowing so I finished that I walked back inside and he played the beat and I wrapped it we were like okay that's it Dior was Literally, Jason came back home one day. He had vocals from another track that I had that was originally called Dior, and he just made a beat around it, and he just hit play, and it, and it was like the whole song was a freestyle for me, for like whatever take that was, it was a freestyle, and he hit play, and I was like, okay, this is crazy. Like, this is absolutely nuts. <laughs> and so I'd say like, like, I'm Sorry was probably the most meditated, like premeditated track. I'm sorry, Face Down was there also kind of a premeditated track. Healthy was, I wrote the chorus, I got in the booth, I freestyled the verse. Um, it blows my mind that Healthy has not like taken off. Yeah. Like that to me is one of the catchiest songs. I play that in the whip all the fucking time. Yeah, like that yeah. and Modelo are my go-to. I'm getting fucking lit yeah. on my drive to work today. Yeah. Um, I don't know, the whole package. It just feels so mature and so refined and something you'd expect out of an artist like way more experienced with mm -hmm. what they're doing um and a lot of the feelings that i got from this album are reminiscent of what i felt listening to saba's first album or mixtape called uh, comfort zone mm -hmm. um which is like on soundcloud but it was he just captured magic and you did the exact same thing there so i want to talk about a couple things that I noted off of your album. Um, first, starting with Glitchin. This, to me, feels like a very personal track. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know a little bit about what was going on when you, were, when you were getting into this. Like some of the lyrics, like, I think I'm courageous. Or nobody know me. I think I'm glitching for real. Mm -hmm. This is my last swisher. Put that shit on God. If mm -hmm. I knew better, I'd do better all along. Mm -hmm. that, is the, yeah, that. that is the lyric off of the album for me. Like, Thanks. I fucking scream that shit. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeez. tell me a little bit about, like, when you're writing these things, what, what, why, where are they coming from? What is, it, what is it trying to unpack for you? Well, I think that when it came and to, to go back to Duke Jasper, Mm-hmm. The idea of creating a person that was just like like what you thought rap was at the time or how you felt rap made you feel like, like your alter ego. Mm -hmm. I started with that too with Jonza and with Jay Gonza was actually my original moniker. And I like 
Jay Gonza. Jay Gonza turned into Johnza. Jay Gonza has a tape called Complex. Where's Jay Gonza from? He's Justin's a, gone. Justin's bro. No, <laughs> Justin's Gonza. Here we go. Well, Justin, the Jay was uh, the nickname, and then Gonzalez Gonza instead. Of okay. Like, yeah. So it was like, interesting Justin that, that gone. <laughs> Justin's gone. I'm done with him. That's hard. We got this new guy. Um, yeah, that's really heavy. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what we started as, and it was just like. Free Radical is the understanding that, like, I have to talk about what I'm going through. I have to talk about me because if I create this idea of what Johnza is and I try to, like, be that character, first off, I'm going to get clowned because that's not the life I'm about. Right. And plus, it's not going to relate because it's, like, or it's not going to translate because I want people to listen to my music and be like, damn, he just put his heart on his sleeve. Maybe I should put my heart on my sleeve and I should, like, be, uh, I should just be as introspective as he was on this and mm-hmm. not care because I'm this hard rapper that's talking about I'm like addicted to weed. That's whack. <laughs> that's literally like you're lame, you know? And I mean now it's different. So soft. You know, it's like that's what I'm saying. Like that's soft as hell. But right. I'm like that glitching was about I, I woke up one morning, you know, dishes. I'm on an air mattress for like seven months straight. I don't have a room. My air mattress is close, so close to the front door that if you leave, I'm, it's gonna wake me up. Yeah, I remember. Shit, the no, like people weren't doing dishes, and I don't even live there. And I'm trying. Like, the other thing too <laughs> yeah. is like I can't complain about people not doing dishes right, right. because I pay a hundred and twenty dollars in rent. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so it was just kind of the real. Like, I just that was a morning where I was just like, shit hits the fan. I should write a song about it. Yeah. You know, and it started off like woke up, uh, uh, um, shit, how did I start that? And like something I feeling hot and uh, trying to get some cereal, none of the bowls washed. Um, turn on a computer, I wonder what I should watch. Uh, trying, trying to get to some motivation by smoking pot. pot. Uh. And that was just it. That was my life. Like, I turn on YouTube <laughs> yeah, videos, yeah. like, try to watch something while, like, hitting, like, smoking some weed to be like, all right, tap me in. Right. But then I'm done with that. And that's why I said, I guess I'm just as lost as yesterday because I'm doing the same cycle I did yesterday, right. thinking today it's going to change something. Oh. And Oof. you know what I'm saying? So that one hits different, man. That's like, that's <laughs> something I struggle with every day. Wake up like, all right, this is going to be the day. Exactly. We're going to get them, boys. We're going to get but <laughs> Sometimes not. It. And that's sometimes why, like, not, no. I, I, I thank you a lot about like just to even just doing this because it makes me want to like me getting up every morning and like studying an album is reinventing myself. And as life changes and as the world goes on, like yesterday is not the same as today. The day before is not the same as today. Nothing will ever be the yeah. same as the present moment. Well, speaking to that, like sit, this sitting down today with you is a culmination of probably about at least three years of waking up in the same cycle every day, trying mm-hmm. to do better. I first fell in love with podcasting probably about six years ago. Yeah, I decided probably about four four years ago that I really wanted to give it a shot. And mm-hmm. I was a guest on my friend uh, Dan's podcast. Uh, I don't even remember what it was about. I think we were talking about Hillary Clinton or some mm-hmm. shit. <laughs> but it was some, it was some whatever. Um, and then I got my first mic. It was like a Blue Yeti. And I recorded mm-hmm. a single episode of a podcast over two years ago. Um, and on that podcast, I'm like, this is it. We're going to go every, every week. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a new interview, like new shit fell off the map for two years (laughs) completely went ghost on the idea Mm -hmm. and now 
I truly feel like those those cycles of waking up every morning, like you win some, you lose most of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, it's it's about moving forward, you know? And it's about keeping your intention there so exactly. those synchronicities can add up for you. Exactly. And so those synchronicities can bring you to where you are. And I have been envisioning this exact um, path of interviewing Jason and interviewing you mm-hmm. for over two years. When I realized I wanted to do a podcast about music, I was like, who are me? My first two guests, Jason, Justin, boom. Like, that's, that's it. Right. So that's now we're so here. Dope. Yeah, man, I can relate to that cycle so much mm-hmm. when you wake up and it just feels like you it's got like the yesterday. whole, right. Didn't I just do this shit? Exactly. Fuck, man. Um, so you wrote, I forget what comes after this, but it was just a little snippet that just really caught my, caught my, um, caught my mind when I was listening to Glitchin. Um, I can't remember. And you might even have a hard time placing it, but you said, I think I'm courageous. Uh, I think I'm courageous, coping with my phases. I forget what it was, but it's just basically me giving myself the props to like cope with whatever life is throwing at me. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like the way, when I say it in the song, it's almost like I'm trying to convince myself that right. I'm courageous. That's how it comes across. Exactly. Because it's like, I need to pick me up. If I just tell myself that I'm doing great a lot, then maybe I'll actually be doing like, I'll actually do right. great, you know? So that's, I think that's where that came from. Looking back when you just said, um, I remember when we first met here in LA, uh, when I first came out here, like a couple of days after, and I came to where you guys were staying, mm-hmm. you literally had a bed by the door. I don't, it wasn't even in a closet. It was yeah. just like you curtained it off. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were in a, in an apartment with Four other, four, four other, other dudes. One that was in the closet. Shout out one. Well, there's another guy living in the closet. Yes. Now looking back, or like in that moment, it's hard to really like kind of see like, yo, this is the struggle. Like yeah. this might yeah. be this. <laughs> might this might be. be the struggle. Right. Bro, that's why it's like <laughs> I'm not from. I'm from Zone Six. I'm from projects like that. I'm from Patrick Court. Yeah. But don't get me wrong. I still got it out of the mud because I had negative dollars in my bank account for a lot of a couple years ago or like you know what i'm saying like that was the struggle and looking back on it now i'm like damn that's crazy but also i have to give myself the props and the people remind me the props because yeah we're struggling like that but the music wasn't taking a toll at no point was i saying i really need to make a hot hip-hop track to blow up right now. Right. I needed to make the music that I needed to make. And that's just by being calm in the situation and just making what comes to me rather than trying to make something. Do you, do you feel a little bit more complacent, like kind of knowing that you were at rock bottom and oh, like you're going up now? Bro, yes. Because yeah. everything starts from somewhere. And the fact that I just see progress in myself from the moment that that traumatic thing happened Mm. i'm rapidly growing so it feels like that time where i was in like in this struggle that feels like years ago and even being in the struggle like i said the one thing that kept me going was music i realized when that's your destiny it doesn't matter what life what's going on in life you must continue doing what you're meant to do and that's why and and mind you there's no god's like all right you're doing well i'm gonna give you what you want but the universe kind of does that and to some extent 
But the fact that I could just go through, like live the way I was living and only do this, I think that I'm being rewarded now from the energy that was put in and the time that was put in to Free Radical and just to building the artistry that I feel so complacent with where I'm at, or not even complacent, I just feel so content. Content, yeah, yeah exactly, with where, I, with where I'm at. So yeah, the, the struggle definitely, the struggle <laughs> made it hard to make music, but I still made it, so now I'm not struggling, and it's easier to make yeah. music, and it's just, light, it's light work. Right, you showed the universe your grit. Mm -hmm. This is something uh, my fiance Lisa and I always like to look back on, is kind of, you don't, I guess when you have a good disposition and you are focused on what really matters, mm -hmm. you don't really notice when you're at rock bottom because it just kind of feels like, you know, this is just, it's my path. I'm yeah. on the hero's journey. Like I'm moving along. This was meant for me. Mm -hmm. And so Lisa and I like always reflect back to like when we were living with another couple in Brooklyn, like as far out in Brooklyn as you can go. Like mm. we're talking like an hour commute by subway just to get to the first stop in Manhattan. Jeez. Like where nobody around you speak English and you're living in a one bedroom apart or a two bedroom apartment in no man's land, Brooklyn. And they got a baby. Like they, they don't even speak English. Jeez. Like, um, and it's like where you are now. It's mm. like, you just always got to count your blessings and be yes. grateful because it's, could always be worse and if you've experienced worse the only responsibility you have today is to be grateful mm -hmm. moving on on reality dreams uh one of Ooh. your one of your lyrics i'm gonna like this one yeah go ahead i've been fighting myself my ego lives in my dreams says a lot about my health i've been contemplating the stars thinking about ending it all and i think the four bars follow you talk about parents only happen when you bring it home the check mm -hmm. papa's losing sight Mm -hmm. and grandma feels god may have been upset mm -hmm. what's going on like what's that's when was this written what what's going tell me about this this is some heavy shit i was back at home for two weeks i couldn't smoke weed <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's it <laughs> so that's i made that song i was yeah. not but couldn't smoke weed but i had just been smoking a lot of weed when i was in california mm. so when you stop smoking weed, your dreams get really vivid. Mm. And this was like the first, like, this is like when I was taking a, I think I was taking a nap or something, but I had this whole dream about literally that song. It was me. It felt like I was like 28 or something late deeper in my career. I had never truly fulfilled myself. All the bad, quote unquote, bad stuff, like my dad's losing his vision. My mom, obviously being sad that she lost her son and her completely destroying her knee to the point like she can't even like like walk for too long. My grandma just feeling like she's like our whole reason to live to be on this earth is to suffer. Like there's just like that like background noise that you think that you try to suppress. Like it basically that song is my background noise unfiltered like i had a whole nightmare about being in a and that line actually was being in a stall like i was in a bathroom stall in my in my dream literally like i can't do this anymore i gotta get out of here i literally have to I, I just have to end it i gotta get out of here and it was just about it was just a culmination of all my fears happening and it was like visually like seeing my dad really losing his sight seeing my mom just really being sad my grandma doing that I just, it was basically, that song was just a really bad nightmare. And I woke up and immediately was like, I got it right. And then that's the whole thing about alchemy, about turning that into a project that one day I'm going to make a good amount of money off. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> right. 
but yeah, that's that's kind of that. That was that was that song. And then um, I notice you end you end the album with the song title "Exhausted." Mm-hmm. How much does that speak to your psyche then, and how much of that is true now? Like when it comes to approaching music, do mm-hmm. you find that like you're still exhausted from this process of making music, and has has that discouraged you at all? Um, not at all. I think that "Exhausted" on there is it it's the perfect ingredient for the recipe which is free radical it's the perfect final thing the finishing touch to add on to it but i think that exhausted was more about the fact of my mind's been racing about my recent trauma about the way i'm living everything like when there's a lot going on and it's draining your willpower draining like just you in general you're exhausted you're right. you're 100 exhausted but i think that i don't think that the song was necessarily about always feeling exhausted. It was more about the, like the fact that I did feel exhausted from making I, the free radicals, basically my trauma and making a whole entire project about my trauma. Also living the way I was like reliving my trauma a bunch of times and being in a long distance relationship that was, that wasn't really working. It was just a lot. I was just literally, I was just tired. I was just straight up tired. And that's why if you listen all the way to the end of Exhausted, there's this kind of like vocal that comes in that's that's basically the ascension of Justin into whatever this next world is. It's almost like the whole thing about reinvent. What is it? What is it saying at the end? You're talking about like the the outro. Yeah, on. the outro is. Um, uh, I think I sing God. Uh, I, I keep saying I think I sing right, God. Yeah, yeah. And it's that free radical Justin dying. Okay. And it's the reinv- the reinvention of myself. Every project is what I want to like emphasize. Yeah. So that song is really like, I've you been through the journey of free radical. This is what I went through. This is Justin. Now I'm seeing God. I'm moving away from this. It's like I want the premise of every one of my projects to be like I said. This the end of the project is this realization, and that gives me the freedom as an artist to talk about whatever, to do whatever, to put, to make John's a, I can make John's in the most egotistical, just worst type of person in a track. Mm. But because I realized that I did that at the end, I'm allowed to do that because it's just the understanding. Like when you have a, when you have a realized or the introspection, the ability to, to know that. As for exhausted, it was just old me dying and, and like, that's the whole, the whole project is me ascending. It's, it's just, it's, it's about me like, moving away from this trauma this idea of trauma and this idea of just like what i think i am to like it's it's taking me to a place of what i can and will be you know but fascinating i love that outro by the way i think i'm seeing god yeah i fucking wish that shit would repeat for like two minutes (laughs) (laughs) but um um, so looking back on free radical how close is this to an ideal project for you and how do you feel about it now having kind of put it away what does your feelings. ideal project look like even i had mixed feelings about it mm-hmm. um after i dropped and just thinking about it because i didn't know if people understood it and mm-hmm. think about like putting imagine trying something for a year or putting your heart and your all this thing for a year and not seeing it directly just do some crazy I struggled with that in the beginning, but I was like, wait a second, this is my first project. And listening to it again from top to bottom, I was like, oh, I'm tripping. This is literally me. This is exactly where I was in the time. This is 
true to my artistry. It's true to me. This is my perfect foundation project. And I don't think I'm ever going to know what a perfect project looks like. Or maybe like 10 albums in, I'll be so acquainted with my the best way to make music that right. I'll be like, I know how to make a perfect project. I think that because I keep reinventing myself and because every project builds off the last one and can ha- but can, it's going to push you in its own world, I don't think that I can really say what that perfect album is. Right. right? Like at the time, Free Radical is perfect. Is there a certain sound you're chasing? Like somebody is somebody making projects right now that that you would like to to emulate? I think I'm trying to emulate like the people I look up to, not their projects they've made, but what they would make next. Like when I'm making private property, at some points I'm like, oh, Kendrick would hop on this beat next, like he for his next project. Right. And and even I can't even really say that too much because I've only like the inspiration I've had for this new project for private property and for the next stuff. It's like, it isn't like I want to be like someone it's, I want to feel emotion from something. So I think that's when I was able to really find out who Johnza was because it was no longer coming from inspirations from people. It was more coming from my own inspiration based off of how certain songs made me feel. So Moving in unison with your intuition. Exactly. That's when I started making music that I really resonated with because I've never heard anything like it because nothing is like it. It's literally whatever mark I'm leaving, it's me. Right. Yeah, that's that's kind of and 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 but to answer your question, yeah, I don't think there's I have a perfect idea of what a project is. I think that at the time of whatever I make, whatever is made is perfect because I feel like I'm in and I'm in tune with whatever I need to make. Gotcha. So looking back on, on Free Radical now, do you feel you were grounded enough uh, when you released the project that like, were you expecting more to come from the release of this project? Did it meet your expectations? Do you feel good about the reception of Free Radical and maybe opportunities it's afforded you and brought? Were you expecting more? What, what was going on in your head when you were dropping this? Um, honestly, when I was dropping this, I didn't know what to expect. There was a lot of hype around just the idea of me putting out a project because I, and, and not even not to be a narcissist or not, I'm not saying I'm doing, but like, I know my caliber, like my ability to make music. I know what I can do. I know, like, I just know how good I am at it because I know how much time I put into it. So I kind of, in the back of my head was thinking people have to understand this because I've been going ham, you know, like, I've been killing it. <laughs> right. But at the end of the day, people didn't know, the people that are listening didn't necessarily know me. So it wasn't like they listened to the project and they were like, oh, this is crazy. I completely get it. A lot of people probably didn't get it in the beginning because like, it's just that they weren't ready for it. They weren't used to it. They didn't know. Like, I think that Free Radical is going to be a project where I drop a project in five years or at five in, in five projects, someone's going to look back to Free Radical and be like, holy shit right i get it it's gonna be like you're overly dedicated to kendrick's uh good kid mad city exactly because it's 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 just this the project wasn't necessarily that's that's something i'm understanding too in my artistry the project is going to resonate when it needs to resonate and free radical is out and it's gonna and it's boost it's helping me with my career immensely because i put out my first project right whether it's like the way i'm making music the people that i know whatever it is it has helped my career immensely, but I think that it's really going to get its props 
later down the line when people are really invested into John's world. And I think that realization has changed the game for me because it's like, I'm not looking to make a billion dollars off of, you know, free radical. You know right, what I'm saying? Yeah. This is the, I actually like a, a management company is uh, hit me up about the project and helped me with the campaign for it. YMU. And mind you, this is the first time I've ever went through a management company. This is the first time I really was like, oh, I'm doing this for real. This is not a hobby. Like right. I'm actually putting something out. I've been noticed. Exactly. And it's, it, it was, I didn't know what to expect, but you have these crazy expectations in your head where you're like, oh, I'm working with this company. Like I'm going to blow up. This is going to go crazy. Mm-hmm. But was it difficult to manage those expectations once you were with the, uh, with this management company or? Well, I think I kind of was like understanding that it, I was slowly understanding that management company or not, if the music isn't there, if the visuals aren't there, if everything isn't there, management can only do so much. Cause a lot of there's, since it's like the industry is so saturated with stuff, the only thing that really peaks out is really good music. And I think for radicals really, really like fantastic music. And, but I think that for what it was, I didn't need a management company trying to push an album about my trauma. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It just felt like an album that I could just put out and it was just kind of like more for me versus this next project is still for me, but it's got some, it's got some heaters. It's got some right. like hip hop, like, like right. real, like I'm a rap. Like but. you were, it, it seems you were able to work through a lot of what you needed to say, mm-hmm. which can pave the way for your more traditional Johnza to come through. Mm-hmm. Very cool, man. Where did you think you were going to be at this age? Did you see music always as like this path or like you went to business management school? I went to business management school because I tried to like, I always had to convince myself and my parents that that, like, all right, I'll do something in college. I'll help. Business management is going to help me. I need to manage myself. And, And not really knowing what it takes to one, be a successful artist and two, to be a successful business manager. I never saw like I didn't I didn't necessarily see what I see now this whole time. I just kind of was like, I got to make this music. This is the only thing I know. Um, the first time that I when I really realized that music was my thing was 10th grade hotboxing a car with like four of my like main homies and everyone's freestyling. And then I go to freestyle and I, I had never felt anything like this in my life wow. I words started falling out my mouth and that's when I started being like I gotta smoke more weed and I gotta <laughs> rap more so that started that's when it went downhill with the weed there but we but <laughs> that changed like I'm telling you that one freestyle in the car changed me and that later that night we went to I even specifically remember we went to uh Taco Bell and we opened up the drink and we just saw like a loogie in there and this is this is one of those things where like Fuck, weird things are happening no. that day to remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we were just like, nah, like this ain't it. But then I remember driving out there, they're like, uh, I said, Y'all, should I rap? They're like, bro, you have to. It was Cass and my homie Cassie and my homie Lucas. They were like, Bro, this is you have to do this. And from that day on, I was like, All right, this is it. I literally remember saying, I'm going to be a rapper. And that that is gonna that has expanded and grown to not just being a rapper, just being an artist in general and just paving our way for whatever the next artist is going to be like that really started everything i started freestyling every day after school i started just like so smoking so much weed oh my gosh bro like who were you listening to around this time that that was kind of helping form your come up 
McJenkins. Mick. Denzel Curry. Okay. Raider Clan, which is like South Florida. Um, Houston, kind of just like Trill, Bop, like just OGs. Raider Clan, that's um, Space Ghost Perp. Yep, 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 or... yep, yep, yep. Space Ghost Perp. Also, shout out to him because he started a wave that is still going. I was listening to ASAP. I was listening to a lot of really weird SoundCloud, like random SoundCloud artists. I was listening to like some uh, Spooky Black, Bobby Raps. <laughs> Spooky. Um, yeah, Is he still making music? Yeah, he's Cor- he goes under Corbin. Corbin. Yeah. Oh, that's him? Mm-hmm. Oh, he makes some good shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, Spooky Black was good shit too, Spooky but Black was crazy. it's good to see that he's like... Still going. Yeah, this thing. he's yeah. really embraced it. He was really dope. But it was a lot of it was a lot of SoundCloud uh, random. Like this is when SoundCloud peaked. Right. Like not only was it on SoundCloud, I was on Tumblr, and Tumblr really gave me the aesthetic and the understanding of like just vi- like imagery that right. for like certain songs. Or Absolutely, takes you. so important too. Like I cannot stress enough how important it is for any sort of entertainer or performer to be in tune with like what's going on on Twitter and Tumblr. They are paving the way for aesthetics. They're paving the mm-hmm. way for culture. Seeing how well-dressed kids are now oh my God, is crazy. Dude. Like you're looking at like high school kids that look like they spend all day in the thrift shop and they're putting together great putting shit. together crazy. Like, <laughs> Bro, I'm saying I'd be walking down the street sometimes and looking at some kids and like, damn, y'all are dripping right now. Right. You're little like, did you, fuck. Like, little <laughs> did you know I'm a grown-ass man trying to be a rapper and I'm over here looking at a 16-year-old that just got like, just like just Balenciaga. Fucking, right. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, man. It's nuts. It's nuts. But that's because they're tapped into internet culture. Exactly. Like you cannot reject that shit and try to make it big in this industry. You gotta, okay. You got to be on that. All right. Uh, any moments? So you kind of understood this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Any moments that have made you question that? Made you want to turn tail and run? Honestly, crazy enough, not really. Dope. It's 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 all it's all been like when things don't turn out the way that they're supposed to for me, or, or not. That doesn't even make sense because things turn out the way they're supposed to all the time. But like. What what I felt as if things not turning out the way they're supposed to be was it wasn't like me like damn I gotta give this up this ain't it for me you know it was more like things aren't going that well right now but things usually come right. around but I'm music just, is still the focus exactly how do you how do your parents feel about that have you have you ever felt any sort of pressure to kind of like what what did what do they expect of you I think that in the beginning they didn't understand it. And mind you, imagine sending your kid to a private school for years, spending all this money on this dude, on, on your, this dude, on your kid, <laughs> who's like, just like, I'm, I'm going to class, studying, doing my thing, but just spending a bunch of money, getting me into like, I'm just around a bunch of privileged people. And then me saying, I know you just spent 30 racks for this first semester of college, but I no longer want to be here. I want to come home and be a rapper. It wasn't that easy at first. Oh, I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> but it was never discouragement. Good. It was never don't do it. It was always like, you want to do it, do it. Make it work. Don't talk about doing it. Like, just just do it, you know? So um, they had that understanding of that, but they didn't understand what it took to be an artist. They mm. didn't understand what it took to, like, to, be, to, to break an artist, to, be, to, like, really get them out to the people and whatnot. So they didn't really have advice to give. They could only give their unconditional love and support. So they they did exactly what they could do. At no time did I feel like 
at no time I felt discouraged. At times they were like, yo, you want to like go to the military? Do you want to do something other than be a rapper? Because Great you, idea. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I've been trying to do. I was like, you know, be a rapper, not rather be in World War III. Like, that's yeah, true. absolutely. How could I be so confused? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so before I became Lieutenant Gons, um, I really tapped into the music. I started, things started happening. It started like, obviously they believe in me. But it's another thing to believe in the music actually happening. Mm -hmm. My dad saw a write up on me and he was like, Yo, like they did a write up on you and they, they, <laughs> they like people care about you. Wow. And I was like, That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But actually, as a matter of fact, there was a time where I thought I was never going to make music again. I was, it was actually pretty recently. It was actually like a year ago. Um, I was skating down a hill in Mulholland Drive with boxing gloves on. Okay. Muhammad Ali's boxing gloves, actually, signed by him. Oh, oh interesting. Um, this is a very interesting scene you've just painted mm -hmm. very quickly. I have a tank, white tank top on, navy blue pants, big uh, uh, high top Air Force Ones, my skateboard. You sound like Sonic right now. I look like Sonic. <laughs> to <laughs> think of it. Whoa, I did look like Sonic. Okay. You had the mittens, the blue. Bro, okay, but I was going as fast as Sonic the probably wheels, on this hill. yeah. I was, so I'm going down this hill, right? We're making this video. Like, we don't know what this video is going to be about. We're just like, let's go out and do some funny, stupid shit so we can make a video and capitalize off it. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to bomb this hill. And we go around looking for hills. And we like looking for hours. And I'm like, all right, let me just fucking bomb this one. Like, I just, let's just, let's just get out of here. I'm looking at the hill. And it doesn't seem that bad. It was bad. Um, <laughs> there is no point where it flattened. And the oh, only part where it flattened no. was the intersection. Nice. Um, so I was going down and I was power sliding, doing my thing. And it got to a point when you're skating down a hill, it comes to a point where you can't power slide anymore. If you like that, it's just like turning the board sideways and just kind of slowing yourself down. You're going so fast. If you power slide, you're either going to slip back, smack your head and just slide for a while. Or you're going to flip forward, smack your face, slide for a while. Um, I actually got... Uh, I just I did something in between both of those. Um, I was going down the hill. I got crazy speed wobbles. Clipped. I fell forward, but on my shoulder. I got like a first degree road road rash on my shoulder. I hit my temple. I see. I have like crazy floaters now because of that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's probably Leveled from up. the pain, not from head, like not from the head trauma. But fucked up my shoulder completely. Went to the ER twice. Got billed for like $30,000. No. Like, Are you shitting me? <laughs> yeah. My insurance, my insurance goes crazy. So it, was, it wasn't as bad as I Okay, that's good. Fucking hell. I was at home. No money. Free Radical didn't make me a millionaire yet. Right. Uh, my <laughs> shoulder's fucked up and I'm delusional. And so, yeah, I'm just like back at home and I'm like, damn, I should just figure something out because this music <laughs> shit is taking me here, bro. Like, but in actuality, my stupidity and lack right, of understanding yeah. what I'm doing right. took me there. So, yeah, that's when I, my, my mom was like, do you really want to do this anymore? Like, you seem like you don't want to do this. And I was like, I was like, yeah, man, it's a, lo a lot's going on. And then like a week later, my dad was like, you're tripping if you say you don't want to do this. You know you want to do this. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And shots then, out pop shot bro yeah, that's the thing that's why it's like okay that traumatic stuff happened my brother and it prepared me for life but like the blessings i have with my family and my friends like i can't overlook that and that's why like the whole thing like, about a guardian angel it like the why it's so like prevalent to me is because i just feel like i'm on this journey where things are just happening but like 
a lot is happening to bring me to where I need to be and have a foundation of people that truly love me. Because if I, I was thinking about if I blew up in high school right now, I don't know where I would be. Hmm. Like, I really have no clue where I would be because I was not ready. I'm not, I'm, bro, I still got right now, I got like $100. I ain't going to lie to you. I got like $100 <laughs> to my name. But the amount of people that have that love and support me, that like genuinely love and support me, is 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 unheard of because I'm not providing for them. It's not like I can put food on the table. It's not like I can take them out to dinner. I can't do anything but be there and talk to them. And the fact that that many people want or show me love like that, that's something that I'll never I'll never take for granted. And that's like what fuels me to go about the day. Like other than my hundred dollars, that's fueling me on like Chipotle for like ten days straight. The people are what really would make me like able to go go on. I love that, man. Well, I think on that note, we'll call it a day. That's a beautiful way to end it. And thanks again for coming through and being so open and being so vulnerable and just sharing your story with us, man. Thank you for providing you know, a space where I can feel like I can be vulnerable and asking questions that are bringing stuff out of me that I didn't even know was in me. Of course. Anytime, man.